Well, good morning. It's really uh, neat to see a lot of uh, familiar faces here, some people that we haven't seen for a while. So it's great that as uh, we go through here, more and more of you are starting to join us in person. That's awesome. Thanks to those of you who continue to join us online as well. That's great, too. Well, this week I was reading uh, something that A.W. Tozier wrote. He wrote a book called The Root of the Righteous. And in that book, he wrote these insightful words. He said, so wide is the gulf that separates theory from practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both would scarcely dream that there was any relation between them. He said, an intelligent observer of our human scene who heard the Sunday morning sermon and later watched the Sunday afternoon conduct of those who had heard it would conclude that he had been examining two distinct and contrary religions. And then he goes on to write this a little later. He says, it appears that too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill thrill of feeling right, but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. I think that what Tozier says here is, is really true. I know it's sometimes true in my life, as much as I would like to say that that my conduct matches the Sunday morning service, I know that that's not always the case. I know that there are weeks when I have, over my life, when I have heard the Word of God, and I left and nothing changed in my life. And my guess is that if we're all honest, that's probably happened to all of us at times, right? That our, our conduct doesn't really match what we claim that we believe. And so this morning, as we continue in our sermon series on the seven signs, we're going to look at the seventh sign, and that seventh sign is going to help us to understand that believing in Jesus is more than just some kind of intellectual exercise, that it involves the way that we live our lives as well. So this morning, we are going to finish up this sermon series, the seven signs. We've been looking at seven different signs that John records in his gospel account. He tells us Jesus did a lot of other things, but he records these seven for a specific purpose. And so I'm going to take you back to a verse that we read at the very beginning of this sermon series where John explains himself why he picked out these seven. Here's what he wrote. He said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, and now he's going to give us the purpose, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And that's why we've been looking at these signs. Every single one of these signs helps us to understand that Jesus is the Christ, that He's the Son of God, for the purpose of having us believe in Jesus. And as we're going to see this morning, we've talked about this really up till now in the whole sermon series, believing is more than just an intellectual exercise, that it involves our lives as well. So this morning we're going to finish up by looking at the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Maybe something that you're really familiar with, the passage in the scriptures. It's found in John chapter 11, and it's, it's much longer than any of the other accounts of the, of the signs. It takes up all 57 verses of chapter 11. I'm not going to read all 57 verses this morning. So I'd suggest you go ahead and take your Bibles out. Open them up to John chapter 11 and be ready to kind of follow along. What I'm going to do is, is to pick out a few passages along the way that will help us to understand and kind of carry along this account here so that we can learn what God has for us today. 
And as we do that, here's the main idea that I want us to, to pull out of this account this morning. And that is this. This seventh sign reveals Jesus' power over death and His ability to give life. Reveals His power over death, His ability to give life. Not just physical life, like He's going to do with Lazarus, but also spiritual life as well. And I would suggest to you that that even though each one of the six signs that we've looked at so far, they would help us to understand that Jesus is the Christ, that He's the Son of God. We could, if we looked at any one of them individually, it would, it would lead us to belief in who Jesus is and in His mission and in His message. But this seventh one is really kind of the culmination of everything. It really encompasses everything that we've seen so far. Jesus' sovereign power over creation, His power over time, His power over distance, His his power over disease, these are all just elements of this, this last thing that we see here about Jesus and His ability to give not only physical life, but spiritual life as well. It's interesting because this last sign also is more personal for Jesus. If you think about it, the other signs, he, he didn't never, in most cases, he never really even knew the people involved until, until he did the sign. But here, he is good friends with Martha and with Mary and with Lazarus. He had visited their house before. He, he knew them well. So this one becomes very personal for him. And we're going to see that here because we're going to see that Jesus has an uh, emotional connection to Lazarus a little bit later on. So it's really kind of surprising. We, we see as the, as the story opens that Lazarus is sick and that Mary and Martha, they send for Jesus. And they say, Jesus, you've got to come because Lazarus is sick. And the way that Jesus responds to Lazarus is a little bit surprising to us. Here's, here's how Jesus responds. He says, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, and here's the surprising part, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, that sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? We're going to see why in just a minute that Jesus does that. We know from the the account that John gives us here that Jesus had been ministering On the other side of the Jordan River, he'd left Jerusalem because the Jews were out to get him. They wanted to arrest him, and they wanted to kill him, so he'd gone away for a while. And and Lazarus and his family, they're in Bethany, which is only a couple of miles away from Jerusalem. So he knows when he goes back there what's going to happen. And it is only a matter of days after this until Jesus is arrested, and he goes to the cross and dies on the cross for our sins. But he tells us here that one of the reasons that he waits two more days is because this sign is more than just about the physical healing that's going to take place. It's so that God is going to get glory. It's so that those who see this sign will understand without a doubt that Jesus Christ is in fact God because he's going to do something that only God can do. And that's amazing. And so... The story continues. We'll go ahead and pick it up here in the next verse that we're going to look at in verse 11. And, uh, and Jesus travels back there, and as he's on the way, he talks to his disciples. It says, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. 
Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So notice again, he tells us here, he says, I'm glad that I wasn't here. He's died. Now that, again, that sounds really strange to us. But he says the reason is this is for your sake so that you may believe. And here we find this word believe that really is the key to this entire chapter. You'll find it nine different times in this chapter. And Jesus is going to perform this sign because he has a purpose much greater than just bringing Lazarus back from the dead. He wants his disciples and those that are there to believe in who he is. And as we're going to see, and as I've already alluded to, belief is more than just some kind of intellectual assent. And Jesus is going to, is going to take them to a place where that, they can see that and understand that. And then we get to verse 17 and we find a piece of, of really important evidence for us here that's going, to be, that's going to really kind of set the stage here. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now why four days? Why is that significant? Steve Jacob and I had a little bit of an online conversation about this this week because this is really strange. As Steve said, this is strange and I agree, but the Jews actually believed that when a person died that their soul would hang around the body for a period of three days. And they also believed that after three days, they didn't embalm like we do today, that the body would be, begin to dis, decompose, and that you wouldn't be able to recognize the person's face. And so Jesus waits till the fourth day, because he wants everyone to understand that this is in fact, that Lazarus is dead, and that he's going to do something that only God could do. No one else could raise somebody from the dead. Now, you could read this story and you would think that other than Jesus, that probably the main, who would you say the main character is other than Jesus here? Probably Lazarus, right? You'd think raising Lazarus. You know what's really interesting? Is Lazarus, I don't think is the other main character here. All it tells us is that Lazarus came walking out of the tomb when Jesus commanded him to. And, and to be real honest, I was thinking about this this week. If you were Lazarus, would you really want Jesus to bring you back to life? Think about it. He's already in heaven with God. The very moment that he died. And now Jesus is going to bring him back to live on the earth for a period of who knows how many more years before he gets to go back to heaven again. So I'm not sure Lazarus is really all that happy about what's going on here. But he doesn't really tell us that, but... It just got me to thinking about that. I mean, once you were in heaven with Jesus, would you want to come back here to earth? I don't think I would. I think the other main character is Martha here. You'll notice even that when we began to read the account, it talked about Martha and her sister. And Jesus is going to use Martha here as a, a way to show us what it really means to believe in Jesus Christ. And so let's go ahead and pick up the story again. We're going to move ahead a little bit in the story to, to verse 20. And it says this, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. 
But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Now, certainly Martha believes at this point, right? But her belief's kind of interesting. And, it's, and her sister Mary, if you go and read the whole account, you'll see her sister Mary says the same thing. Lord, if you would have just been here, you could have healed my brother. So they believed Jesus could heal Lazarus. But what they didn't believe, they didn't believe that God could bring him back from, that Jesus could bring him back from the dead, did they? Said, if you'd been here, you could have fixed it, but now it's a little too late. This is essentially what they're saying. Now, I'll give Martha some credit. She has a little bit of faith here because she says, well, okay, I know whatever you ask right now, God, God, he'll give it to you. But I don't think she even imagines yet what Jesus can do. And so she has a little bit of faith here. But I, I tell you at this point, I think it's just intellectual faith. So the key to this passage, I think, really comes in this next section that begins in verse 23. And really, this is the heart of the, I think, of what we can learn today. And here's what Jesus says to Martha. He says, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know, and I'm going to come back to that word know in just a minute, so keep that in your mind. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, I told you I was going to take you back to that word no, because Martha says, yeah, Lord, I know he's going to rise again. The word means to kind of have like an intellectual knowledge. We might call it like book learning. I mean, Martha was familiar with uh, what we would call the Old Testament Scriptures, and she knew, even in the Old Testament, it taught about the fact that there would be a physical resurrection of the body one day. We know that because Job talks about that, for instance. He understood that there would be a resurrection one day. So she had this intellectual understanding of what a resurrection was, but we're going to see her, her faith is still not quite there. Even after Jesus says to her, he says, I am the resurrection, I am the life, present tense, and that's going to be important, we'll come back to that later. He says, anyone who believes in me, they, they not only live now, they're going to live for eternity. And then he turns around and he asks her the same question that he is asking all of us today. Do you believe this? And that's the key question for all of us. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Not that He will be, but that He is right now. Do you believe that He's the Son of God, that He's the Christ, the one who can provide eternal life for those who put their faith in Him? And Martha says, yeah, Lord, I believe. But her, her belief is still not quite full. And so Jesus is going to give her a chance to demonstrate her belief with her actions. So let's move ahead in the, the story now. Uh, we're going to move ahead to verse 38. It says, Then Jesus, Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. 
Now, this is one of those places where, frankly, you just cannot beat the King James translation. Here's what it says. Jesus said, Take away the stone, Martha, that the sister of him that was dead saith to him, and this is the good part, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he's been dead four days. I bet he did stinketh, right, after four days? But Jesus is giving Martha a chance here to demonstrate her faith by actually rolling away the stone. And she's still reluctant to do that. I mean, that would demonstrate her faith, right? If she actually moved the stone, that would demonstrate that she believed that Jesus could raise Lazarus from the dead. But she's a little leery about that because she believes all that's going to happen when the stone is rolled away is there's going to be a stinking corpse in there. But Jesus once again reminds her why he's doing this. He says, Martha, don't you remember what I told you? If you'll just believe in me, if you'll just have the kind of faith, the kind of belief that results in action, then you're going to see the glory of God. So let's see how the the story kind of ends here in verse 41. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now you can see a lot of parallels here with what's going to happen to Jesus in just a little bit over a week, right? Jesus is also going, to be di- also going to die. He's also going to be placed in a tomb. There's going to be a stone rolled in front of the tomb. But here's the difference. When they roll away the stone from Jesus' tomb, it's not so Jesus can get out. It's so that others can get in and see that He's no longer there. And Jesus isn't going to need anyone to unbind Him because... In his resurrected body, he's just going to slip through those burial clothes and they're just going to remain there in the tomb. But it is by that one act, by his death and by his resurrection, that Jesus is going to make it possible not only for us to have physical life, but for us to have spiritual life as well. So that's why we said this morning that this seventh sign reveals Jesus' power over death and his ability to give life. Not just physical life, but spiritual life as well. So what does this mean for me? I want to close this morning with four implications for my life. Here's the first one. What I believe is more important than what I feel. Now that's not what the world tells us today, is it? I mean, everything in our world is all about, what? Getting in touch with my feelings. Just for the fun of it this week, I actually Googled that phrase. How do I get in touch with my feelings? You ought to do that sometime to just see what pops up. I think I got like 400, over 400 million hits or something like that, some crazy number. And there's some really weird stuff out there if you want to get in touch with your feelings. And if you don't believe that the world is all about feelings right now, then go ahead and post some biblical truth on your social media that people feel differently about and see what kind of reaction you get. See how many people are offended. And it's real easy for us to to kind of fall into that trap of, 
of getting caught up in, in what we feel, even within, even within the church, even within religion sometimes. We want to have this emotional mountaintop experience. And sometimes we will, and that's okay. Like this morning when we sing The Stand, I can't sing that song anymore without having an emotional reaction to that because that was a song that, that we sang at my mom's memorial service. And I can picture her right now in front of Jesus singing that song to him. So it's okay to do that from time to time. But that shouldn't be, that shouldn't what be what drives us. Notice here that Jesus, he probably makes Mary and Martha feel better, right? At least for a while, at least till Lazarus dies again. But that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was so that they would know that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and so that they would believe in him. And so we need to be really careful that, that we don't base our relationship with Jesus just on, on what we feel, but we need to do it on the truth of who He is and what He's revealed to us and, what, and being obedient to what He has told us to do. The second implication for us is this, that genuine belief is always accompanied by action. And we've seen this with all seven of the signs now. Every time Jesus does a sign and somebody believes, they take some kind of action. They go wash in the pool. They, they stand up and take their mat. They do something, just like, like Martha had to finally do something here. She finally had to have the, the stone rolled away from the tomb. Like Lazarus, when Jesus yells, Lazarus, come out, he had to walk out of the tomb. So, so belief is always accompanied by action. So here's my question to you this morning. Is, is your belief in Jesus, is it demonstrated by actions in your life? If you say you believe in Jesus, have you told someone else about that? If you say you believe in Jesus, have you been baptized as a testimony to what He's done in your life? If you believe in Jesus, have you joined this church or some other local church that you can be a part of? If you believe in Jesus, are you serving other people in His name? Because belief, genuine belief, it's always accompanied by action. The third implication is this. Ah, forgot. I was going to... James 2... He tells us, he, re, he says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That's what he's saying here. Genuine belief is always accompanied by action. Now the third one. Eternal life is both a quantity and quality of life. We saw this earlier. What did Jesus say? I am the resurrection and the life. Not I will be, someday, now. And he says, at the very moment you put your faith in me, eternal life begins. It begins right here on this earth, and it is a quantity of time. It means that when you die, you won't really die. You'll continue to live. And one day, that'll even be a physical existence where your soul's going to get reunited with your resurrection body. So it is a quantity, but it's also a quality because He is the resurrection and the life right here and right now. And He has the ability, if you put your faith in Him, to give you a better quality of life on earth right now. Not just It's not just a matter of how much it's also a quality of time and then finally the last implication for us this morning is that jesus glory is more important than my relief from trials his glory is more important than my relief from trials you know he does he relieves mary and martha here i mean jesus himself wept you know he had emotions here 
So did Mary and Martha. And, and certainly when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it makes him feel a little better for a while. Takes away that trial, but that's not why he did it. He makes that so clear here. He says, I'm doing this so that, so that God will get the glory, so that my glory will be seen and so people will believe in me and put their faith in me. We've seen all throughout this series, and we know God's more than capable of relieving any of my trials, whether that's physical or whether it's emotional or whether it's spiritual. God can do that. And sometimes He does do that. He sometimes does it in a miraculous, with a miraculous healing like we've seen in some of these signs. But from what I've seen, He does it far more often by making a transformation in our life that helps us to live with that trial in a way that brings glory and honor to Him. So that's why we said this morning that this seventh sign reveals Jesus' power over death and His ability to give life. And I am convinced, I'm absolutely 100% convinced that after hearing the last seven messages that every one of us in this room, every one of you joining us online, and I'm including myself in that, that there's something that God wants us to do in our life to apply what we've learned. Or to put it in the, in the words that we, we looked at earlier from A.W. Tozer, God wants us to bridge that gap between theory and practical. God wants to make sure that, that our lives on Sunday afternoon reflect what we've been learning on Sunday morning. And that means we have to do something with what we've learned. Now, I can't tell you what that is. That's going to be different for every single one of us here. But I do have four questions that maybe will kind of get you to begin to think about what it is that Jesus wants you to do. Here's the first question. Do I need to genuinely believe in Jesus for the first time and place my trust in Him alone? Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've kind of believed about Jesus, you've had this intellectual idea of who He is, but you've really never put your faith in Him in a way that, that has changed your life. And maybe you need to do that as a result of what we've learned. Here's the second question. Do I need to demonstrate my belief by being baptized or joining this church or taking some other action? Some of you have been coming here for a long time, and that's great, and you're welcome to come as long as you want, but at some point... The Bible's really clear that God wants us to make a commitment to a local church where we can get plugged in and we have other people around us to help us to grow. Maybe you put your faith in Jesus and, uh, and you've never been baptized like Jesus told us to do as a, as a physical demonstration of our faith in Him. So maybe you need to do something here. Here's the third question. Is there some area of my life where I need to quit living based on my feelings? And be obedient to Jesus. Man, as I said earlier, we're all, we're all tempted, and I'm, I'm right there with you, to live based on our feelings. But sometimes we just have to get beyond that. We just have to obey what Jesus has told us to do, even when that goes against our feelings. And finally, the fourth question. If I'm currently going through a trial in my life, how can I use that to bring glory to Jesus? And I know some of you are doing that. And you know what? I'm, I'm so proud of some of you because I watch your lives and I see how you're using the trials in your lives to bring glory and honor to Jesus. And I am grateful for that. So I want to encourage you, if that's where you are, to do that. Now here's the good news. 
as you ponder those questions, and I pray you'll do that prayerfully this week, and you think about that, and God, God impresses upon you, him, He and His Holy Spirit impress upon you, here's a change you need to make in your life. The good news is you don't have to do it alone. That's why God has placed people into a local body like this, like Thornydale Family Church, where you're surrounded with other people who can help you do that. That is why every week at the end of the message, we tell you, here's how you can get a hold of us so that we can help you. We tell you, if you're here today in person, there are several ways you can do that. There's, there's cards out, at the, out in the lobby at the information desk, and you can fill out a card, put it in one of these boxes. You could actually talk to me or to Ryan or one of the elders. I know that's kind of scary, but we'll talk to you. That's okay. If you're joining us online, or even if you're here this morning, there's several other ways you can do it. If you're scared to do it in person, go to the website. Right on the homepage, there's a contact form that says, Contact Us. If you're on Facebook Live right now, you can post something in the comments, and we'll, we'll get back to you. You can go to, I'd encourage you to go to our Faith Life page. If you're not already part of our Faith Life church group, we encourage you to do that. If you need some help getting on there, let us know great way you can message us there you can let us know you can email us now here's the thing i tell you that every week and i honestly can't remember the last time that anyone actually did that now there could be several reasons for that one reason could be is that ryan and i are just so good that at the end of the message you never have any questions that we've covered everything completely And so you don't have any questions. I don't know about Ryan, but I know I'm not that good. So I know that's not it. It could be, on the other hand, that you're just so smart that you don't need any help, that you have it all figured out, you can do it all on your own. And again, if that's the case, you're way smarter than me. I've been a disciple of Jesus for a few decades now, and I still need help. I still need to reach out from time to time. So, so that, that could be a reason. It could be. It could be just because of pride. Because you don't want to admit that you need some help. You don't want to admit that you have some questions. You know, that's, that should not be the case in the body of Christ. The body of Christ ought to be a place where we can go and we ought to, can seek help. You know it's a cliche, but it's really true when it says that the only stupid question is the one that's not asked. So if you have questions, if you need help, we're here to help you do that. Maybe it's just because you're afraid to do that. I mean, Ryan and I, we're pretty nice guys, I think. But if we're too scary, I know Joel and Steve, they're really nice, so you could go ahead and talk to them if you don't want to talk to us. But please, let us know what we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus. So that you can bridge that gap between theory and practice. So that your Sunday afternoon lives will reflect what you've heard on Sunday morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, uh, man, these last seven weeks, just being reminded of who Jesus is and why we need to believe in him with the kind of belief that results in action. And Father, I know that everybody in this room, everyone joining us online, that there's something you want them to do in their lives as a result of what they've heard here. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit, even now, would be speaking into their spirit. 
that you would guide them and lead them, that they would that they would yield to your spirit as he leads in their lives so that they would take the action they need. I pray that they wouldn't be afraid or they wouldn't be too proud to to reach out and to ask for help. Especially want to pray for those who have never put their faith in Jesus and pray that they would take the steps to do that today. We ask that in his name and for his glory. Amen. Are so grateful that you have joined us today. Uh, we have something special for all of our families. Um, so.